Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being with me again. For our message today, I'm calling this, We Can Do That Too. We've been talking about how the Holy Spirit of Christ in us speaks to our heart and our spirit, not to our mind. We used to think that we had to get things from our mind to our heart, but the Holy Spirit's been revealing to us it's just the opposite. The battle is in our mind, and the root underlying situation is always evil's lie of Adam's false, dark, angry, religious, small-g God, the accuser, liar, deceiver, slanderer. Evil is continually at work, stealing and destroying and trying to steal our spirit revelation of who God is, who we really are, and who everybody else really is. Now, this is extremely important. Please get this. Evil's constant attempt is to destroy our identity. Evil started with Adam and Eve, lying to them about God's identity, distorting it, slandering God. Then evil immediately moved to distorting Adam and Eve's identity, slandering them. First, evil said, God's holding out on you, but he wasn't. They slandered God's character and identity. Then they said, you're not the image and likeness bearer of God, the Trinity, but you can be if. Then evil slandered each of them to the other. Oh, oh, it was evil. It was Eve's fault, not mine. See, all of those are lies, but they believed the lies. Once you believe lies about God's identity, you leave yourself wide open to believe lies about yourself and others. So today, we're going to focus, we're going to see how evil messes with each of us through our identity. The Lord has really been helping me with this in my life. Now, it's a work in progress. It's ongoing. And I would believe that what we're going to share today is going to help you as well. It may be new to some of you, so hang with me if you would. Evil can't create, so it tries to distort and malign what God created for good, which is everything. However, the gospel, the good, glad, merry news that makes a man fairly leap for joy, has defeated evil and continually empowers us to not take evil's thoughts. So today, we're going to see how Jesus, fully human as a man, did that as a human being. And we're going to be reminded that as Christ is in the world, so are we. And we're going to see how we can do exactly what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, this is right after Jesus had been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And Luke writes this, from the moment of his baptism, Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to remember As Jesus is in this world, so John told us in 1 John 4, 17, so are you and so am I. Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit and so are we. 
most of us just have forgotten that, aren't aware of that. The mirror says this about that. Jesus was fully infused and prompted by the Holy Spirit in order to victoriously face the same diabolic scrutiny that snared humanity in Adam and Eve and later dramatically displayed itself in Israel's detour in the wilderness of their unbelief, their mind. All right, back to Luke. Jesus was taken by the Spirit from the Jordan, where he was baptized, into the lonely wilderness of Judea to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser for 40 days. The mirror says Jesus went into our hellish wilderness in order to disengage every demonic onslaught on our identity and sonship. He is in a Holy Spirit encounter in the wilderness. This was in the very wilderness where an already redeemed from slavery Israel was snared into believing a lie about themselves. God told them, look, I'm going to give you the promised land. So they sent the 12 spies in, but the spies believed lies. They came back and said, oh, we're not image bearers of God. We're reduced to grasshopper status compared to the giants. We can't do it, even though God said we could. Jesus ate no food during that time. And he ended his 40-day fast very hungry. The mirror said the life that Jesus lived in a human body was no different than ours. He felt the same weariness, the same hunger, the same thirst that we would, yet he never forgot what manner of man he was. He lived convinced and conscious of who he was. And we've forgotten that. But that was his secret, and it's ours too. This is how he overcame every temptation victoriously. So let's look at it. Verse 3 of Luke 4. It was then the accuser said to him, If you really are, if you really are the Son of God, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread for you. Now, here's what the Holy Spirit of Jesus is showing me these days that I need to anticipate, I need to expect, I need to be aware that the accuser is using that same tactic with me all the time and with all of us. And I haven't even been aware of it. He's saying, you are not. I hear this voice in mind saying, if you really are, yeah, but you're not. You're a failure. You did it again. You'll never change. And other people say to us, you're a Christian, but you did that? Religion says, If you really believe the right way, well, you wouldn't say that. See, that's what Jesus was hearing. He heard from the accuser, if you are the son of God, and of course, Jesus was. Verse 4, Jesus replied, I'm not going to do what you ask. It's written in the scriptures, life does not come only from eating bread, but from God. And the Passion Translation has this phrase at the end of that verse, life flows from every revelation from God's mouth. Jesus was listening to the Holy Spirit of Christ in him, who he was one with. Life flows. See, he didn't need to change a rock into a loaf of bread to have life. Jesus knew life flows from every revelation of God's mouth. Jesus continually listened to the Father, and he only said and did what Papa told him to say and do. Life comes from hearing the living Word of God and then doing what God tells us to do. The living Word of God is Christ in us. 
Verse 5, then the slanderer lifted Jesus high into the sky and in a flash showed him all the kingdoms and regions of the world. The slanderer then said to Jesus, all of this with its power, authority, and splendor is mine to give to whomever I wish. Just do one thing and you'll have it all. Simply bow down to worship me and it will be yours. You will possess everything. Well, guess what? Jesus already knew the truth and that's what we need to know. He knew that he already possessed everything. See, if Adam and Eve had known that, they said, you can be like God if you do this. They were already like God. They didn't need to do anything to be like God. We already are one with God. We're just like Jesus. We already have all the spiritual blessings there are. The mirror footnotes here say the first temptation was to question Jesus' sonship. Then evil offers him something he already has, exactly the same tactic evil used with Adam and Eve and uses continually with us. Verse 8, Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get behind me. For it is written in the scriptures, only one is worthy of your adoration. You will worship before the Lord your God and love him supremely. Verse 9, next the slanderer took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the highest point of the temple and tempted him there, saying, If you really are the Son of God, jump down in front of all the people. Then the slanderer quoted Old Testament Jewish scripture. Verse 10 and 11, he said, For it is written in the scriptures, God has given his angels instructions to protect you from harm. For the hands of angels will hold you up and keep you from hurting even one foot on a stone. Friends, just like Jesus We need to be aware, in our case, that well-meaning, but misguided and ill-informed people, not evil people, just people who are being guided by evil, religious people, will quote scripture to us to slander us, to condemn us, and to shame us. I've certainly had that happen a lot. You may have too, probably have. They will see, religious people will see something you do and then use their understanding of a Bible verse to shame you, to blame you, to condemn you, like they did with Jesus. They may call you a false teacher or say you're from the devil or you're living like the devil. They may say, if you are a Christian, why aren't you more loving? Why aren't you more patient? Why aren't you kinder? But you are not. See, evil will first lie to you that God is not, not good, not for everybody, not unconditional love, and that he's going to punish you when you don't live right. Then evil will say to you, you're not good. Something's wrong with you. You say you're a Christian, you go to church, you read your Bible, but you smoke, but you have a drink, but you get angry. But you say a bad word. But you sometimes laugh when somebody tells an off-color joke. But you're a Democrat. But you're a Republican. You see that kind of stuff all over social media. And we see it in person as well. Verse 12, Jesus replied, well, it's also written in the scriptures. How dare you provoke the Lord your God? We can do just what Jesus did too. We can say, evil, how dare you contradict what God says about me? 
God says, I'm one with him. I'm pure, perfect, holy, set apart, right with God. My sins are all forgiven. That's quoting scripture back to the evil. And we don't have to know the reference of it. We just have to know God says that to us. And and we see it in scripture, but we know it's true. Well, that finished the slanderous harassment for the time being, verse 13 said. So he stood off at a distance, retreating, until the time came to return and tempt Jesus again. We too can stop the harassment from evil for the time being by saying what God says is true about us. And most of the time, we need to say what God says is true about us to ourselves, not just to evil that's attacking us, but to ourselves, because evil will tempt us to take those thoughts and think they're our thoughts. It will sound like us, those condemnations, those accusations. It'll sound like us, and we'll take that offense, or worse, we'll believe those things, and we'll beat ourselves up, and we'll believe the lies, and we'll repeat the lies to ourselves, and we'll say, oh, I guess I really am a bad person. Maybe I'm just a bad Christian. Maybe I, I never should have said that or should have—I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Why did I do that? What's wrong with me? See, saying those things to ourselves, believing those lies, repeating them, internalizing them, is questioning God— and believing evil. It's not believing and trusting God. That's how evil steals our joy and our peace and our sense of well-being. That's how evil figuratively kills the abundant life that we have. It just sucks the life out of you. One minute you feel great, and then you click on your email or Facebook or somebody you know sends you a note and accuses you of something or slanders you, and it's, it's, it's just like it hits you right in the gut It's like a kick in the gut that just sucks out all the air, all the life out of you. It kills your joy. That's how evil destroys relationships. Evil will tempt us to, with people we're in relationship with, to judge them, condemn them, accuse them, keep a list of their wrongs, point out their faults. That's evil's attempt to get one or both people in a relationship to believe the I am not lie. The lie that something is inherently wrong with you, but obviously I'm better than that. The lie that the other person is dark or flawed or not good enough or not right. Evil will say those things to us and tempt us to say them to other people. Or evil will say them to ourselves and get them to say, to think that about ourselves. See, evil is deceitful. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I come just the opposite, to give life to the full, abundant life. Now, in that context, leading up to that, in all of John chapter 9, in the first nine verses of John 10, Jesus is talking with and about and confronting religious leaders who are hell-bent on getting people to believe in Adam's dark, angry, punitive, religious, small-g God and to believe in what that fictitious God says about them, not what the real God said about them. Jesus is saying that's what the thief is. Thief is religion that comes to tell you that God is not totally good and that you are not right with God. In settings like that, religious people, and we're all religious to some extent, 
but God's leading us out of that. But people like the Pharisees did with Jesus, they put themselves in the place of what they think God is like by judging other people, condemning, shaming people, telling them how offended they are by your actions or your speech or whatever. What a bad person you are, especially compared to what a good person they are. Jesus didn't have pleasant words for them. He loved them. He died for them. He included them. He forgave them. But he called them out for lying about God, for lying about themselves, for lying about other people. All three instances lying about identity. Now, of course, there may be times, there will be times when somebody with pure motives who's being led by the Holy Spirit talks to you about something where you've fallen short, where you've missed the mark, where you've hurt somebody. Certainly, our actions don't always line up with our true identity. I don't know of anybody where that's true all the time. Our actions may not look like who Jesus says the real us really is, but it simply means there are still times when we don't yet listen to Christ in us, and we don't do and say what he says, and as a result, we make poor choices. But that has nothing to do with our true identity. We've got to not focus on that. We've got to not focus on the seen and temporal and instead focus on the true and unseen eternal, our true identity, who God says we are and who God says he is and everybody else. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us every day to listen and pray and ask him if what the other person is saying about us is valid. If so, certainly apologize and move ahead and ask and trust Christ in you to live as you and to not fall short of who the real you really is, certainly not to wallow in shame and wallow in false identity and beat ourselves up. That's not what he wants at all. The key there is to not take offense, not listen to lies from evil that tell you that you're not good, that you're less than, that something's wrong with you, that you are not. See, Christ, pure love and pure light with no trace of darkness, continually reminds you of truth, and Christ speaks to our heart our spirit. That's where God communicates to us, not in our mind, because our mind believes other things. Your mind wants its own way. It wants to defend what it's heard. It doesn't want to listen to truth from God. Our mind is where the battle is. So instead, we take the mind of Christ. We take sides with Christ. We believe what he says about himself and about us and about all other people. And then like Jesus did with the slanderer, accuser, liar, we just refuse to believe his lies. The result is we end up being like Jesus is at the end of that story in Luke 14. It says, then Jesus, armed with the Holy Spirit's power, returned to Galilee and his fame spread throughout the region. You and I have Holy Spirit power, just like Jesus, the human being did, in him. We have Holy Spirit power in us, living as us right now. Look at these scriptures, Ephesians 3, 7, and 8. Apostle Paul said this to us. He says, I've been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Even though I'm the least significant of all his holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. Grace alone empowers me so that I can boldly preach this wonderful message to non-Jewish people, sharing with them the unfading, inexhaustible riches of Christ, which are beyond comparison. 
Verse 16, he says, I pray that God would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Verse 18 and 19, he says, then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. He says, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. He says, this extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. You have the fullness of God right now overflowing. He wrote this to the church in Colossae, chapter 1, verse 11. We pray that you would be energized with all his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. Look at what Peter wrote, 2 Peter 1, 2 and 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. And you are, you have the nature of God. You're not less than or no good or not good enough. You are one with God. The Trinity lives in you. You have the very nature of God. Verse 6, the mirror translation of 2 Peter chapter 1 says, Here you will realize your inner strength and how fully competent you are to prevail in patient perseverance in the midst of any contradiction. Contradictions are lies that we hear from evil or some lackey from the evil, contradictions in who we truly are and who God is and who all others are. We know God is pure, pure light, no trace of darkness, complete and total love for everybody. Jesus included everybody at the cross. We know he's made us right and with him and pure and faultless and all of those things. We know the same is true of everybody else. Now, when we get a contradiction to that, Peter says here, you're going to realize your inner strength and how fully competent you are to prevail in patient perseverance in the midst of any contradiction. He says it's from within this place of enlightened perspective that meaningful devotion and worship ignite. Francois, the translator, says spiritual strength exceeds mind, muscle, or willpower by far. And we have that spiritual strength. We have that power in us. Back to that last verse of the story that we talked about today, Luke 4, 14. Jesus, armed with the Holy Spirit's power, set off on his ministry. That's where you and I are today. We have the same Holy Spirit living in us. We have the same power. We are just like Jesus is here on earth. And we will get attacked by the slanderer. You can count on it. But now we are armed with the Holy Spirit power. And we know that Jesus has overcome and defeated evil. So we have to. We don't have to take what he says. We have the power to live abundantly and not be dragged into those things. That's really helped me. 
I hope it has you all too. I look forward to seeing you next time. This is Paul Gray saying, love you all. Thanks for being with me. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.